Accessing library computer data. Out there, there are no saints. Just people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Continuing our run through of Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Right now we're up to the episode called Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. It is the fourth episode of the seventh season. Written by Ronald D. Moore, I do believe. Yep, and directed by Chip Chalmers, which is a great name. In this episode, when Captain Solok of the Federation starship Tecumbra challenges former classmate Sisko and his crew to a game of baseball, Sisko refuses to lose to the arrogant Vulcan and begins to take the game way too seriously. We're joined by Clay, who always takes things way too seriously. How are you? I'm good. I'm ready to gear up and get out there. I'm blah, 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 blah. <laughs> this is my favorite part of the my favorite part of the episode. We um we we, we need to have Avery Brooks uh, giving us a old style baseball mil- slash military yelling to get us psyched up for this podcast. I think is what mm-hmm. I need. I need him angrily stomping around. I was I wanted to open with um you know I've uh, I've given um, Miles O'Brien the O'Brien family a hard time and Colmini and everything. Well, I was I was feeling kind of bad for him until I saw him throw a baseball in this episode, oh, yeah, and I, yeah. I no longer feel bad. for for him what's yeah, up yeah there's uh you can tell this is a team of actors <laughs> this is not a lot of athletes mixed in there but um yeah th- that's something funny like i'm always kind of amazed that if you don't know how if you don't learn how to throw a baseball when you're younger you apparently can never learn how to throw a baseball yeah i mean i played baseball for like eight years and i arguably still don't know how to throw <laughs> a baseball correctly because <laughs> my um I don't know what it is. It's it. I, it's it seems like it's, it's similar not, to riding a bike or something. But it's it's it. It doesn't seem to me like it's that unnatural of a thing to do. You know what I mean? So it's not like it's like a golf swing or something, which is not really right. what you expect to do. Is what the end result is. But throwing a baseball feels like it should be kind of a a natural arm motion. But I guess it's not. Well, I mean, think about like how many times in your life have you had to actively throw something that wasn't sports related. Hardly, yeah, hardly ever. It's all sports you know, related. So, yeah. yeah, so it's like unless you're playing sports, I guess it is kind of an uh, all all sports are are fairly awkward motions when you when you really look at it. Yeah, um, yeah. Throwing a ball seems like it should be fairly routine, but yeah, unless you're unless you are someone who uh, likes throwing things around your home in uh, a fit of rage, it's not a motion that you really do that often. Let's take a break. I'm going to play an audio clip. Me and Clay are going to come back, and we're going to break down Take Me Out to the Hollow Suite. There is another matter not listed on the formal report. I need use of a hollow suite, but the Cumber holodecks are currently under repair. To arrange hollow suite time, you have to go through Quark. He owns the only ones on the station. Then I will speak to Quark. I have created a special program for my senior staff, and they are quite eager to resume using it. Really? Yes. In fact, you may find the program of some interest. It is based on an Earth game. And what game would that be? I think if there's a one thing that takes me out of this episode, it is the unbaseball playing savvy actorness of everybody involved <laughs> in this. Um, it's pretty. It's pretty egregious. Like I would say that eighty percent of the people here look like they've never thrown a ball whatsoever. I would say that. Uh, the the actress who plays Cassidy Yates is probably the most effective looking athlete out of all of them. Yeah, uh, she yeah. she throws a ball pretty well. Um, Dorn looks okay throwing it, but hitting it, he looks awful. And yeah, I I was expecting when they were doing that uh, first practice, I'm like, oh, that's uh, that's really funny that Worf is just naturally good at it. That makes sense. And then they had him get up to bat, and he was terrible. Yeah. Like he didn't. He looked like he had <laughs> never done that in his life. And I was like, uh, okay. Um, and it's hard to sure. it's hard to judge because you don't know if they're supposed to be playing bad. Apparently, um, Max Grodenchik, who plays Rom, actually played ball in college, so he had to throw with his off hand, his left hand, oh, to make really? it look convincing that he could not play baseball. Uh, but apparently, he even had some kind of inkling of consideration of of going pro after college. So oh, he's wow. a, he's actually a good athlete. But um, huh. everyone else apparently has never thrown a baseball in their life, which is strange. Yeah. You know, I was uh, surprised that they didn't do the usual trope for this kind of story where one of them secretly turns out to be really good. Right, yeah. Who would you that know, have like, been? I was, I was expecting it to be Rom. Yeah. Because yeah. he was, 
you know, I thought it was going to be one of those things where he was really shitty, and then someone was like, Rom, why don't you try batting as a righty? And then all of a sudden he was just cranking them out of the yard right. or something like that. Open your eyes when you're when you're trying to hit the ball or something. Yeah, and yeah. here comes that. No, they don't do that. They um that's maybe the the most interesting part of the episode is that they lose at the end. Um mm-hmm. It's like Rocky if Rocky was just not a good boxer. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I don't um it, it's kind of an interesting episode because I don't really <clears throat> excuse me, I don't think it's um it's not it feels really like a relic of the era combined with the fact that this is a last episode a last season episode. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm. I I don't know how much of the plot really matters, even though I kind of enjoy oh, none. I enjoy the plot. I enjoy the setup of the plot, which is that first scene with Solok, the Vulcan, and Cisco talking to each other about things. The one dripping with sexual intensity. <laughs> the one the one where they're clearly both begging for it. The uh, like I like the setup there. They don't do anything with Solok really until the end, no, and even then, no. it doesn't really amount to anything. So it's like it's a, it's an episode that doesn't really have a story. It's kind of an extended joke, kind of a chance to let the the well, crew and cast screw around a little bit. And it's semi about something, but I don't think that it's really a major. E- even in a lighthearted way, it feels like it's kind of just a fun episode, I guess. Yeah, I think the point. I think the point of the episode is that Cisco needs to lighten up, mm-hmm. and I don't know. I thought it was perfectly. Fun. I thought it was great. I really enjoyed this episode quite a bit. Yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah. I don't. Um, I like it too for for what it is. But I guess. But I. But I think that what it is stuck out to me in a way that a lot of episodes haven't felt this way. Like even the um, the most throwaway episodes from season six, like Times Orphan and stuff, at least felt like they were of the show in a way that mm-hmm. like and. It, that this one for some reason doesn't feel that way, even though I think that the baseball metaphor has been there since the pilot. Um, Cisco's love of baseball has been there since then. The team building aspect of it makes sense and stuff like that. It's just it, it sticks out to me, probably because it's it takes place with a lot of people in goofy makeup running around on a real life baseball field. So that it just mm-hmm. it sticks out as a strange episode to me, even if I like it. Yeah, yeah I I I mean I I likened it more to like uh, Little Green Men or something like that, where they were clearly just having a good time. Um, uh, you know, and there's a little, bit of a, a little bit of a message. I would like to go on record and say I, for one, am sick of this everybody gets a trophy type of culture yes. that originates in this episode of Deep Space Nine. <laughs> we finally found where that comes from, <laughs> and it's bullshit, and it's causing the uh, pussification of the young children of today. Yeah, I'd agree. <laughs> but uh yeah I yeah I don't think it's meant to be taken that seriously. I think it's it's just about you know taking these characters and putting them out of their element a bit and uh uh um just having a good time and and it's just a fun character story. I um I I love that the Vulcans were uh really into baseball yes. because it is the most uh insufferably statistic based sport. Yep. So it makes perfect sense that they would be into baseball. I I was actually uh, a little surprised that they were so so they were like power hitters. I was expecting it, them to be into it from more of like a uh, mathematical standpoint, right? Than, finding than the weakness like, in the seams and stuff like that, and exploiting, yeah, yeah. not just uh, you know. No, they are them. they are super strong though, as we're told multiple times, which is why they lose. So they're, they're Jake was lucky to only give up ten runs. I guess is the way that yes, the way that yeah. they look at it at the end. Yeah, it's I um. Baseball's funny. Um, like we, we've had a lot of um, comments in the Discord and Twitter and stuff about people who don't even. Um, and I've listened to other Star Trek podcasts where, shockingly, the hosts were unfamiliar with baseball or had never played baseball. <laughs> um, I did play baseball, and mm-hmm. baseball is a funny sport. And I think the timing of this one. This came out in 1998, right? Right. This was. This is October. So the, the home run, Maguire and Sosa home run uh, chase had just finished as this episode came out. And the World Series would have been on as this was airing. Um, in a way, what perfect timing for this episode to come out with kind of the, of the events in the year that changed baseball forever mm. in a lot of ways. And it's a very loving Ken Burnsy type look at the sport. Um, in a way that is much harder to do nowadays. I don't feel like you have this kind of like um, Cy Young worshiping, like, you know, 1920s throwing the ball, spitting tobacco, like it's good for a family, it's good for America type approach to baseball. It doesn't feel that way. 
And this episode comes about just as that change is happening. I think it's pretty interesting. Even if it, even if I'm not convinced that the person who wrote this, which is Ron Moore, really knew all that much about baseball when he was writing it, like it, it, it seems a little <laughs> bit odd. But it's it's a strange timing for the sport to make its way into the show, and I guess it's an appropriate time. Well, he knew enough to know what a fancy Dan was. Mm-hmm. I had never heard um, of that. Had you heard of that? No, before? I don't. I don't know. I okay. don't know if that's a real thing. Um, the infill yeah, fly you know, rule. It's... Sorry. Well, the infill fly rule is always the one that gets the arguments about people who are somewhat unfamiliar with baseball because it is kind of a funny sport that it's very simple, but it has a lot of rules to it. Yeah, I was I was expecting after that infield fly rule for them to be like, okay, I get it. Now, <laughs> designated hitter, and everyone else be like, what? Are we playing um, National League rules or American League yeah. rules? What is this? I know. I was expecting something like that. Like when Rom was terrible in the field, I thought I thought Cisco was going to be like, "Hmm, can he hit?" Right. He's just I thought a power he was going to be. Yeah, I thought he was going to be a really good hitter, and then be like, "All right, he'll be the DH." <laughs> um, the uh, uh, yeah, I I think what's really interesting, and one of the reasons why you don't see stuff like this too much anymore is because the generation of the writers here, I think, is the last generation that seemed to be really reverential of baseball. Yeah. So that's why that stuff is coming out at the time that it was. Like, I, 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 you've, they've all got that sort of, uh, I remember, I remember watching Mickey Mantle with my dad kind of thing, you know? Yes. Um, that I don't think modern writers really have. I don't know if that's because baseball doesn't, I don't. I just don't think it holds the same place in American culture as it once did. No, it changed quickly. It used to it be, like it used to be a vital for all our non-American listeners. Uh, it used to be some. I would consider a fairly vital part of American culture in a lot of ways, yeah. especially being um, Boston uh, based, where we're Red Sox fans by de- <laughs> by yeah. default. The I'll, I'll you, never if, the mo- in Boston. In Boston, you were a Red Sox fan and a Catholic, so you were just. <laughs> Full of self-loathing that just never went away. The only line that ever stuck with me from my entire university career was I had a professor who, uh, before 2004, when the Red Sox won, said that uh, he thought the Red Sox were special because the Red Sox fan base up until that point (coughs) was unlike any other fan base in that we'd been supporting a losing team for so long. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. he thought that when the Red Sox win the World Series, as they're inevitably going to do, it will forever change the fandom of being a Red Sox fan. And I think he's, tr- he's right about that. Like, it, oh, 100%. It, yeah. it, being a Red Sox fan is no longer what it used to be, which was like this sort of really pure um, fan thing for a team that never mm-hmm. won, but you were like still did yeah. well and still sold out, and you were, you were happy to be a part of that tradition. But now they've won a whole bunch of World Series since then, and they feel like just another team. And the, the, the fandom feels like just another fandom. Well, except that they're all insufferable assholes. Yes, they're all insufferable, and we wear pink hats and, I, and stuff like now and, and sit like, on top uh, of the yeah. monster. Yeah. Oh, God, that was... That era of, like, bandwagon Red Sox fans, oh, God, put a bullet in my brain. I hated that stuff pretty so bad. much. Yep, pretty bad. Because, you know, because exactly, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, you were a Red Sox fan for a long time, and you were with the team when they were crappy. You know, going to a Red Sox game, you didn't expect them to win, nor did it really matter if they didn't. Uh, and then once they started winning, ticket prices start going up and people start showing up to the games who aren't really, you know, I hate to be that person, but that's what it felt like at the time anyway, where it's like, oh, okay, they're winning now, so everybody loves them. A lot of, a lot of corporate ticket sales at that point, too, because you get you get priced out of normal family people who can buy them, and yeah. so they're sold to more like the corporations and law firms and things that give them out as uh, treats to their clients, basically. So it's a lot of out-of-towners coming to Red Sox games. Yeah, same with with I mean honestly with all the sports in Boston. Um I when I got out of college, I could walk into the garden on the night of a Bruins game and buy a ticket for like 25 bucks and uh very quickly that went away once they started winning. Yeah. Um it, the uh the biggest change actually was when the Bruins would play the uh, the Canadians, the uh crowd would be more often than not Canadians, at least when I was going because they were busting them down from Montreal because the tickets were so cheap because yep. the team sucked. Yep. So it was like most of the people in the crowd were from from Montreal, which was uh, you know not always the most fun to be a part of. But yeah. Yeah. not to uh, <clears throat> be nostalgic about shitty things. 
<laughs> but that's but kind what of what is nostalgia if not reverence for shitty things. That's kind right? of what this uh that's kind of what the episode is. I don't, <coughs> excuse me. I don't have anything um I don't have anything against baseball, but it's definitely just of the era where that was a very reverential thing. It's it's very much they they did a good job in the emissary pilot where they relate the baseball metaphor to the uh prophet's inability to sense like what linear time is, which I thought was really mm-hmm. cute. And but this episode doesn't have that kind of metaphor. It's really just about baseball and about the the cast is going to play baseball for an episode and we're going to see how yeah. it goes. Yeah. Yeah, I don't I mean, I don't think it needs to be much more than that. They're just they're just uh you know, just having some fun. They're making making a small point uh with an excuse to have a good uh have a fun episode where the characters get to to have fun being the characters and and uh living out those little eccentricities and how they would apply to human sports and stuff. I think it's fun. What's the point? What do you think the point is? Like I said, I think it's just about Cisco realizing that it's not a big deal, you know, that, that there, uh, there is, I guess there's that there is uh, grace in losing and it not, and uh, losing isn't necessarily a bad thing if there's other. So the, the, the ending is a little bit, muddy to me because it almost feels like um less of like them learning a lesson it feels almost like an ending like the simpsons would do or something where uh uh it's not it's not so much that they learn a lesson it's just that they they had enough fun that it pissed off the the vulcans and right. that's what they get their joy out of yeah like uh like at the end of the simpsons episode where um uh, the kids get taken away and they're going to be uh, – they go live with the Flanders and they're going to uh, be baptized. But then Homer comes and he saves them and then they're walking away and, he, and uh, you know, they're still a shitty family. But he's like, so give me all the dirt on Ned Flanders. And, and uh, Bart goes, well, he's got some old paint cans in the garage. And they all start laughing hysterically and like, oh, old painty can Ned. Yeah, yeah. And like that's they're, – they're getting their, their fun out of, you know, taking the littlest amount of piss out of, the, out of their uh, – uh, you know, antagonist. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I always feel that the um the episode itself is so lighthearted that Cisco's like lifelong vendetta against this guy feels like it's a little bit too intense for what they're yes, trying to do. Yes, it's very intense. It's, yeah, he's basically been haunted by this Vulcan for decades because of um a wrestling mishap that he had his youth, and and he's carrying well, it over into adulthood. To be fair, it's <laughs> less that Cisco's vendetta is intense. As much it is is as much as it is that the Vulcan is being a complete prick about it, yeah. Where he's the one who keeps bringing it up and keeps holding it over Cisco's head. It's not so much that Cisco is just endlessly bitter. I mean, if anything, he's justifiably endlessly bitter. This is um, well renowned as the start of the Vulcans as dicks characterization that they mm-hmm. they eventually start to take a little bit more and more as part of every kind of Vulcan thing. Um, mm-hmm. What'd you think of it? Oh, that was fine. I mean, it makes sense. Um, Excuse me. I think. I think it's. Uh, I think it at least gives them a little bit more characterization than just being flat and emotionless. You know. Yeah. If they, if their, if their logic and lack of emotion just ends up causing them to do stuff that is perceived as them being assholes, then that makes sense to me. Yeah, I don't. Because um, Spock always had a bit of smugness to him. And yeah. I, I think it's appropriate. And they, you know, the <clears throat> excuse me, the the Vulcans in pretty much any way you can consider are superior to humans. Like they mm-hmm. they're stronger, faster, smarter, more logical, less emotional. Like they are, um, they would see themselves as a superior race. And I think it makes sense for them to see that way. And they see it as a purely logical like decision that they've come to. It's not like it's a decision born of hatred or racism it's just like yeah we're we're better than you so why should we yeah. deny that yeah like um the vulcan <clears throat> holding that thing over cisco for so long yeah it actually makes sense cuz it, it he you can you could read into it that he's not doing it explicitly to rib cisco but that he legitimately feels that it is a, a uh, applicable um case study for whatever it is that he's writing about or whatever it is that he's talking about. And it's just the fact that Cisco is a human who gets annoyed when that stuff keeps coming up. 
right. uh, that it get, makes it so uh, intense. If except for the fact, I think that the way that this would make that it would play more that way than uh, than the Vulcan is actually just being a dickhead is if it was reversed and it was Cisco who challenged them to a baseball game mm-hmm. because the guy coming there specifically to challenge Cisco to a baseball game, uh, not with any underlying – like if he had challenged him and then said – or you know said, I am working on a new paper about X, Y, and Z, so I need to do some research, so how about I challenge you to a baseball – you know, that kind of thing. Uh, that would feel a little bit more like it was a purely – statistical endeavor. Right. But he is doing it specifically because he wants to beat Cisco again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I don't um I don't mind the characterization of them that way. I think it's fairly effective. I yeah. I, I don't think they, they go in a um too hard of a direction with it. The guy's still a Vulcan through and through. Yeah. And <clears throat> excuse me. It's um it's just there to add what little bit of drama to the story that they can fit right. in. It, it right. really, it, the the drama feels really tagged on to me. And in, in my opinion, it's there to give it the the flow of an episode, but it's really like the least focused on thing that they could do with it. Yeah, I think it. Uh, I, I think it's necessary. It's uh, it's like. Um, do you ever see the movie Equilibrium? Yeah, with Christian Bale. Yeah, which, uh, man, I loved that movie when it came out. But then I, I watched it recently, and I was like, yeah, this is a movie that 16-year-old Clay would have loved. But uh, it also seems like a movie written and directed by a 16-year-old. <laughs> anyway. Gun so kata. The, the, gun, a lot of gun, the surprising, oh, the gun kata. Surprisingly yes. little uh, gun kata in it, actually, though, which is a strange part of that movie. Yeah, well, it lives on in the John Wick movies. Um, <laughs> my uh, The thing about Equilibrium, for anyone who hasn't seen it, is that it's it's this mishmash of of all these uh, dystopian future ideas like 1984 and Brave New World and stuff like that. And basically the idea is that they've developed a society um, where everybody takes a drug to, to make them completely emotionless because it allows for more clear thinking or blah, 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 blah. And of course, you know, as the movie goes on, Christian Bale stops taking it and starts, you know, remembering what sunset is like and all that kind of shit. Um, but I was watching an interview with the actors and I think it was Tay Diggs was saying like, yeah, you know, it's really difficult to play a character who has zero emotion and have it be watchable Mm -hmm. because just by the nature of that, it's going to be very flat and very analytical and not a whole, whole lot of fun to play or to watch. So you kind of have to have some wiggle room where you're like, okay, there's he doesn't have any emotions, but you know, and I think that's what they're doing with the the, the Vulcans is they're they're pushing the boundary as much as they can. Where it's like, all right, well, they just can't be completely cold all the time, right? Uh, they need to be able. They need to do something. They need to have some sort of uh, pathos or or uh, or whatever. But, yeah, um, something to latch on to that you can, because uh, you can't have them be antagonistic or anything without that. It's very difficult to have them be antagonistic in any kind of way. Um, so you need to flesh out their characterization, and I, I don't, I don't mind it. I think it's totally appropriate. Enterprise is the series that really digs into that. Um, it's just it's set up where the Vulcans are antagonistic towards the humans, and but yeah, it's good. It's fine. He's there. He's at the end. He loses the or he wins the game, but loses the battle or whatever, and it's it's fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was a good time. I thought it was fun. Um, it's it's a tough episode to discuss because it's not really. It doesn't tie into anything. You know, it's like our podcast could basically just be us discussing like the favorite moments from it because it's fairly um, not substantial to dissect. Like, what, what do you, I, I, I have a tough time when they, when shows like this in the 90s do baseball games and stuff because to me, it always feels like the directors are out of their element and, Things don't look as good. Things look a little bit more amateurish than you would expect uh, out of a show like this, and it's it's probably because the directors and everything are used to filming on the station sets, so used to like the regular things that they have to deal with. Yeah, but yeah. when they bring them out onto a baseball field, which is just this huge open space, you, the the direction and the cinematography doesn't really look good. It looks very amateurish to me, especially those scenes where 
Um, Cisco's giving his pep talk at the very start and he's standing on the mound and the camera just looks out at everybody else around the mound on him. It just, mm-hmm. it looks bad. Like it, it just looks really distracting that it's a bunch of guys in Ferengi makeup standing on a baseball <laughs> field and you can get past it or you can ignore it, but it's, it's a difficulty I think that the directors have when they move out of something that they've done for 150 episodes into this. Yeah. It also doesn't super help that it's like shot on a little league field. Mm-hmm. You know, you can only, uh, you can only punch that up so much. I was, I thought that, uh, I mean, baseball, it's tough to shoot that stuff full stop, I think, and make it look good. Uh, and I think it's even harder to do when it's something like this where it's, you know, a sci-fi TV team yeah. uh, doing it. Um, but uh, I, I was kind of hoping that uh, they would do something more elaborate for the actual game. Like, I thought it was really weird when they got rid of the crowd. I thought that was really strange. Just to save crowd, money on the extras, right? That's the but only reason. they were reason already to, there. Yeah. That's the, I, I don't know. I, don't, but I guess to not have to shoot them in multiple setup shots. Like, you can just pay them for an hour sure. or whatever and get yeah, it over I with. I guess. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, because I was thinking, like, oh, it would have been so much cooler if they had played the actual game at night or something mm-hmm. where it was a little bit more dramatic looking or whatever. To get uh, uh, Kevin Costner in there to direct this and make it look fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I, I thought, uh, and in a place where I thought that really would have helped was I thought the arguing with the, the ump was really, did not feel real. It felt really fake. You mean um, the acting or the way that it's shot? The, the acting, it just, it just felt really <coughs> contrived the way that Worf and, and Cisco were yelling at the ump, especially yeah. because you could hear what they were saying exactly. Right. And any, anytime you argue with an ump. You just it's like it's like in wrestling when they when they yell at each other. It's like you don't know what they're saying. You don't want to know what they're saying. It's just the emotion that they're getting across. Right, right. Um and if they had the crowd there and the crowd was cheering and to obscure a little bit of that a little bit more, it wouldn't have sounded as weird, I think. Yeah, I thought it was weird that they bring the crowd in at all to pull them away. And Cisco's rationale of my t- my team has never played in front of people didn't make any sense because they're holodeck people, so they're not they're not real and they're all used to the the holodeck setup and stuff, but like I think the um the strong like the 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 only thematic stuff that I really get out of it is I think that casting Odo as the ref or the umpire is like a brilliant characterization yes, like he yes, has yeah. to be the umpire and I think that that works and he's he's flattered when Cisco tells him that he can think of nobody more impartial than he to come in and uh, umpire this baseball game and the the best joke I thought was when Kira walks by Odo's office and she sees him practicing his safe and out calls I really enjoy yes, for some yes. reason, and he doesn't really he doesn't get into it as much um, there in the game as he does during his little rehearsal thing. But I like the little rehearsal thing, and it reminds me of uh, the Naked Gun movie where Le- uh, Leslie Nielsen <laughs> has to play the umpire and he starts getting into it. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I thought the little bits, the little character stuff like that was all really good. Like the other one I liked is when the game started. And uh, Cisco's like, come on, let's hear some chatter out there. And everyone's going, uh, hey, batter, batter, batter. And Worf just goes, death to the adversary. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Worf's, Worf's, um, Worf's one-liners are great. When, they, when, the, when the guy doesn't t- uh, tag home and they have to look for him, he, he says, find him and kill him. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I did want to bring that up because I, I don't – the first thing I was thinking, because I wasn't entirely sure about the rules of that situation, because the first thing I thought was, shouldn't the guy on third have run home as well? Because, I mean, if, if if they're just standing around with the ball, you'd think the guy on third would run home. But if there was two outs, I guess it doesn't matter, because once the, that guy who doesn't touch home is out, he's out. Right. I think I think that's the, the reason why it doesn't matter. He should go home, just to, in case that the guy somehow gets back to home base. But it, it, shouldn't, it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I guess that rule has um, been... Um, that rule has been changed. It was accurate at the time of filming, but now if a untagged base runner leaves the field, he's out. Before, uh, if he does, if he if he leaves the field without being tagged out, he becomes out at that point. Oh, okay, all right. Because I wasn't sure if I yeah, I thought something like if they left, if they didn't tag home, then they they went to the dugout, they left the base path anyway, which would make them out regardless. No, I don't, I, I think it's at the time of this. I was looking at the. At the time of this, the rules allowed for what had happened to happen. It would never happen where the guy goes back to the dugout, I don't think. But it, it's uh, an exaggeration of a situation that could actually exist. Yeah, it was kind of funny because he misses the plate, registers that he misses the plate, and then just keeps walking. Yeah, just goes to he hide. Doesn't just, 
Yeah, he doesn't just reach back with his foot and touch the plate. He just keeps going. Yep. Yep. And o- Odo does his best not to give away what's happened. He uh, he has to he has to leave it there to be the impartial umpire of the situation. Yeah, I will so- say. Good. I will say, however. So, okay, let's say if that that happens, right? Let's say if he he doesn't touch the plate and he goes back into the dugout and he's never tagged. And then other guy runs home. How long is that guy the guy who doesn't tag the plate, is he in play? Is he in play until the next batter comes up? Or can you go through, like, three more batters and then go, oh, shit, and then run over and tag the guy and he would be out? No, once you throw the next pitch, his gotcha. his play is over. So he would be – I don't think they would score the run, but he's not out, I think. I don't know how they would handle that, oh, actually. interesting. Okay. It would be confusing. Uh, I, yeah. was, I was going to say that – that strike that that he called on Wharf was bullshit. That was n- that was nowhere. Even if it caught the corner of the plate, it was like ankle high. <laughs> and they were, that's the case that they were pleading. It was uh, it was low and outside, but Odo wasn't having any part of it. So the other thing I thought was interesting, uh, which I do find fairly accurate, is that um, maybe not anymore. Again, maybe because the popularity of baseball is kind of dipping, but. I feel like people at least as young as we are and definitely older for the most part, mostly men because I don't want to you know, generalize, but more men play baseball than women do. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask them the rules of baseball, they know the rules of baseball. It was like so ubiquitous that anybody from America anyway could, ju- could, could explain to someone else how baseball works. Yes. And uh, I kind of thought that was fun how it, in this episode it was like, yeah, the people the people from America, they just know how baseball works and they can just explain it to everybody else. Yeah, and they're, they're wearing San Francisco and Atlanta hats. So like they're, they're, they're fitting into the, the part of what it is at that point. It's, but it's a, um, it's a strange game because it is like so teaching someone baseball, it would seem very confusing, but it just seems so second nature to me. Like the – I never would have thought that baseball would be a relatively complicated sport, but it does have yeah. all these weird one-off rule type things like the infield fly or just the, the home plate runner and things like that or um, you know, just sort of like yeah. weird positional questions that would, would come up in the course of learning what the game is. That's the thing. That's part of the thing I was thinking of too where it's like, you know, I haven't played baseball for 25, uh, at least 25 years, probably maybe a little bit less than 25 years. But uh, you know, if there's if there's a guy on first and second, and the guy on first decides to steal second, you know, I know not necessarily to throw to second because the guy on third might run home. You know, right. stuff like stuff like that, which is just like just being around the game, it, it, you kind of osmote the rules. Yes, and even the small weird uh, tidbits of the rules in different situations. So to hear them actually explaining it and people going like, "What?" Right just doesn't it, it's really it's really it really made it stand out to me how ingrained baseball and the rules of baseball had been to uh to a lot of american people do you have um do you have anything else you want to say about this one i, I don't feel there's a lot to really say about it you either kind of like the episode or you don't um but i don't have any sort of thematic uh talk to have about it as we've discussed here because we seem more interested in like the baseball aspect of it than the actual episode mm-hmm. but do you have anything you want to say before we uh go to final thoughts yeah, Scotch gum is brilliant. A strange choice, right? Yeah. I, I guess it makes sense, but yeah, that's a um that's <laughs> the only uh the the thing I noticed from that scene is how differently uh Alexander Siddig and Colmini wear their belts. Like it's a different body type that allows oh, for them know, to wear, I didn't notice. wear their belts very differently. Uh but the scotch flavored gum, a good idea. And I'd also want to live in a future where I can infuse my gum with whatever flavor I want. Yes. Yeah. I can't I can't decide if scotch flavored gum is a good idea or a terrible idea. Cause imagine like you th- pop a piece of gum in your mouth and it's just that smoky, peaty flavor. Endlessly. I don't know if Yeah, I don't know if I would that would be down with that. Well, also in the future, have they solved the problem of gum flavor going away? Or is are, is, are we operating under normal gum rules where the flavor lasts for 30 seconds and then you're free, home free and you're just chewing on a piece of gum? It would be a nice little tidbit if, if O'Brien was like, yeah, and you know, it worked great, but for some reason I've tried like eight different things and I can't get this flavor to stay in the gum. <laughs> it's just a running joke of his gum is the same piece of gum for like eight scenes in a row where he's just got the same thing uh, constantly chomping away at it. 
Yeah, scotch-flavored gum. A very strange choice. Well, let's go to uh, final thoughts. We'll play an audio clip. Me and Clay will come back, give our final thoughts about Take Me Out to the Hall Suite and read some patron thoughts. I fail to see why you are celebrating. Frankie's bunt was an accident, and you still lost the game. You are absolutely right, and I couldn't be happier. Quark, a round of drinks for the house on my tab. I'm way ahead of you, Captain. You are attempting to manufacture a triumph where none exists. I'd say he succeeded. To manufactured triumph. Manufactured triumph. Here, here. Here, here. This is a typical human reaction based on emotionalism and illogic. <laughs> Did I hear irritation in that voice? Certainly not. That sounded positively defensive to me. With a hint of anger. And just a touch of jealousy. And a lot of bitterness. Are you always this emotional? I refuse to engage in this human game of taunting. Human? Did I forget to wear my spots today? All that intelligence and he still doesn't know what a human looks like. (laughs) (laughs) Do something else for your desk. If you guys want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash the Penske file. It's the best place to go. Support the show a couple dollars a month. You get extra things like extra podcasts. We're currently running through the Black Mirror first season, so you can get all your access to that. And it's a good thing to do if you're feeling generous. Thank you very much. Special thanks go out to our Captain Tier supporters, Andrew Cherlog, Ben Douglas, Captain Quark, Cardinal Doomsday, Christian Pouch, David Kay, Eric Johnson, Dwayne Hackett, Icy Unicorns, Yarpy, Joint Mango, Kevin Reyes, Kyle Barrett, Matt Cutler, Matt Ross, Mike Burnett, Nathan Elliott, Neil Brennan, Nick Sergi, Robert Cummins, Russell Elledge, Samuel Custer, Grim Santo, Sean Spinobi, Tark Latif, Vault 13 Hero, and Will Yates. Thank you very much for supporting the show. It is much appreciated. Now we'll go to patron thoughts. If you're a patron on patreon.com, you can leave your thoughts about upcoming episodes and we read them on the podcast. So take me out to the Hollow Suite. Point extra G. I'm a huge baseball nerd, just a, not just a fan, a nerd, so I probably like this far more than I really should. The thing that amuses me the most, more than any of the jokes, are the things done to make the episode practical to film. Having Odo be the umpire so they don't have to explain away a shape-shifting player, Cisco removing the crowd so that they don't have to pay a bunch of extras sitting around the whole time. I think that they did miss a great opportunity to go meta, and they should have made the Federation Anthem the TOS theme. That's a good point. <laughs> they never played the uh, Federation Anthem again. I guess that's the I only time. I was going to say... Is that the first time that that we? That's, I assume it's the first. Yeah, time first, first, and last, which is also too last. bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Do you? Would you say that you? I guess the, his uh, baseball nerd thing. Do you? Do you follow baseball at all at this point? No, no. I uh, I was I followed it. I've never been like a stats guy. Um, so following it, I, I I enjoyed watching the team and stuff, but it was not something where I was like keeping my own box score or anything like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. You can understand um, why it was a sport that before the internet was so popular, just because sure. you could do all that stuff, and it's kind of like a a little mindless hobby to, to track the numbers and things like that. But I um I like baseball on purely a statistical level now. I think it's interesting in that regard. Um, that, that doesn't surprise me at all. Yeah, I, I just really I like the I like the it's such a weird sport that is so individually important. Like it's a Mm -hmm. baseball is literally a team of individuals who are playing and you can track It's not like um, soccer or football or basketball where there's like a teamwork component going on because only one person is responsible for their actions at a time. So it's a very um, limited thing where you can easily track someone's value and someone's worth and stuff in baseball. And I think it's interesting. I think it's done a good job. And Moneyball is my favorite sports movie of all time. So. Yeah, that's, that is a good one. It's also oddly, even though it's a it's a sport full of individuals, it also is a very team based sport. If that makes sense, because we're let's say like basketball or even hockey to an extent. If you've got, I'd say basketball is probably the most egregious. If you've got one really great player, they can do most of the heavy lifting for your team. In a lot yeah. of cases, like LeBron James does a lot of heavy lifting for whatever team he's on. Right. You have four um, other role players who are average players can be fine in the right situation with a yeah. star player. Yeah. But in in baseball, you can't you can't win a World Series just because your DH is an amazing hitter. Yep. You know. Yeah. Or or your even pitcher. I, I'd yep. say. Yeah, I would say the closest you could get is probably if your pitcher was lights out, but even that doesn't count because they only pitch once every five days. Yeah, so he'll get two games out of the five-game series before he's swept out of there or something like that. Yeah, yeah. 
Norman Buckwald says, oh, that's, oh, that's right. Cisco is a big thing for baseball. How about we make an episode out of it? And let's make Ron be the one who's bad and with low self-esteem in the characteristic baseball story. And let's have the bullies and make them Vulcans as if they suddenly regress to the way Vulcans behave in the first season of Enterprise. I guess it was here Braga and Brana got the idea about how they'd go in that series. Bad news bears it ain't, and as amusing as it is to see Odo as umpire, it makes one wish a Jem'Hadar ship would suddenly appear outside the station so they could quit acting out this hard-to-watch formulaic baseball story. One out of five. It's going to be one, wow. of those, one of those episodes, I think, that splits opinion. Yikes. Dwayne Hackett says, here's the, here's the other, other side of that, the episode is pure fun. I think at this point the cast knew the show would be ending after this season, and this was their way of making every shot count. They took what should have been a C-plot and made it an A-plot. I think what works most for this episode is the sheer joy everyone has playing their roles. This is one of several unexpected gems this season. Even Odo gets into it. I laugh on each rewatch, and I'm not going to gripe about how unrealistically large the Hollow Suite is. Just hearing Odo yell, you're out, is enough for me. Five out of five. That's, yeah, I don't, I mean, I guess I can understand how you can really dislike this episode, but I just, I don't know. It's, it's so charming. <laughs> it's just so lighthearted. It's hard, it's hard yeah. to, hard to characters get are having a good time with each other. Everybody's friends, <coughs> good, good team building for Esri Dax to be involved in. Especially Does a um, sweet bat backflip off the wall. That's what, that was the strange. I thought it was Bashir who did that at first because it's genetically modified, but no, it's, it's Esri for whatever reason, I think. Fancy Dan over there. Um, was that, I mean it's it's I think it takes a special place just because of its last season thing. It, it feels it's definitely unusual to see the cast uh, do something like Far Beyond the Stars. Like there's something really sort of shocking about them stepping out of the usual roles and doing something else with it. It, it makes mm-hmm. you um, it it feels like a good finale type thing, like a good thing to do in your last season. Uh, not that they've done it before or they haven't done it before, but it just it feels like it's that kind of a thing of just like we're moving on and we're going to get all these ideas out of the way that we've had. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Matt Ross says, okay, it's ridiculous, silly, having every sport cliche, but for me it just works with its comedy and as a bonding episode among the cast. I feel you can see them actually doing this without the prosthetics as good friends offset. O'Brien's scotch gum, there's got to be a market for that. Of course, Odo's the ump, the most assertive he has been for three episodes. Solok is played with prickish arrogance that is well conveyed, as well as the rivalry between him and Sisko. Plus, you get the Federation anthem. Of course, it has no words and is, and is flown. I like the uniforms and the names, Niners versus the Logicians. Death to the opposition, just play ball. How did you, uh, how did you feel about the, the team logos? I like the Niners one. The Logicians one is just the Vulcan symbol, so it makes, uh, there's not a lot of, like, um, change that they could do there oh, but i, I do like is? the niners one yeah i wasn't sure if the uh if the vulcan one was anything in particular if it was just like here's a bunch of geometric shapes you know because they like science well it vaguely looks like a baseball diamond because it's a triangle yeah that they, yeah. yeah but I, I i'm pretty sure that's just the vulcan symbol like the vulcan flag has that symbol on it um yeah i'm on the fence about the niners logo i feel like there might have been a better solution to what they were doing but they, I don't they know sell that is. stuff you can buy niners baseball hats and things like that so it's out there that's, people that's are interesting it's, it's um it's it feels a little i i wouldn't say that they went balls to the wall in the design aspect of it like it feels kind of rudimentary in what they ended up mm-hmm. with but I, I don't mind them i think it's fine for what it is i like the jerseys i thought the jerseys were cool we're yeah, using the yeah. uh deep space nine logo type for the names in the back and yes. stuff i thought yep. that was good i like that uh, Will Yates says, this may be Worf's greatest comedic episode. I would love to have Odo as an ump at any softball game I'm in, and I could see how much you like tossing out the Vulcan. Speaking of the Vulcan, he may be the worst Vulcan at hiding his emotions in any 90s Trek. I wonder if he's a loser to the other Vulcans for that, and if he takes it out on humans because he can't hang with the big boys. This really shows just how different Cisco is from any of the other captains. It's not bad for a bottle episode, but I don't really care much about any of it. So there's the middle angle from Will. Kyle Barrett says, let me scroll down a little bit so I can get this. Isn't there a war going on? Oh, who gives a shit? This is just great fun. A thoroughly enjoyable episode, although I imagine you'd be hard-pressed to find someone who enjoys the episode more than Avery Brooks did making it. That's not gummies chewing, but the scenery. I don't know the first thing about baseball, and I don't know if that improves the episode or not, but I loved it. It's rivaled by only Bluth versus Sitwell in the pantheon of baseball comedy episodes, <laughs> and Worf's funny lines give this one the edge. Everyone talks about the episode, like, episodes like The Pale Moonlight showing what makes DS9 special, but I think episodes like this showcase the unique spirit of DS9 just as much. 
Are you surprised for all the talk of the infield fly rule? They never had an infield fly. I know you think you think it would have come up at that point, right? I guess they don't want to. I guess it's one thing to like explain that, <coughs> or to, <coughs> excuse me, to have a the characters discussing the rule as opposed to yeah. showing it on screen and having the audience go like, "What the hell is going on? Why is this happening?" Also, I didn't realize if I if I heard them correctly that if it's a pop-up off of a bunt, the infield fly rule does not apply. Yeah, that's an interesting um, take on it. I guess it makes sense, but, but I, you'd be hard-pressed to... That, I, that is interesting. I guess you'd just be hard-pressed to... It'd be hard to bunt a super high fly ball. You know what I mean? Um, sure. Because, yeah, I don't know. But it, it, that is a very like wishy-washy rule. You think one thing would be applicable... Or the next, but I guess it makes sense. It would it would be hard to um, imagine a sh- situation where bunting would cause that kind of effect on a play. Hmm. Let's see here. <coughs> and just so everyone knows, the um, the reason that's a rule is so that you, as a defense, you cannot just intentionally drop the ball to make double or triple plays out of it. Right. Um, if people are curious as to why the infield fly exists, uh, because the base runners have to hold up if they're unsure if they can run or if they have to tag up. So as a defense, you can hold them up as long as possible by pretending to catch the ball. They can't advance on the bases. And then when you drop the ball, they are way behind where they need to be to be safe at the bag so you can easily get double plays out of it. Yeah. Um, let's see who did I read here. Captain Quark. Does anyone else but uh, not buy O'Brien's injury? More like Moinger O'Brien, am I right? Anyway, this isn't a great episode by any stretch, but it's nevertheless enjoyable to watch, if only because it teaches us that the Vulcans can be dickheads, too. We can easily pick this one apart, but as the moral of the episode tells us, and Avery Brooks shows us, sometimes it's just okay to have fun and ham it up. That was Captain Quark who left that comment. Last comment goes to Zam Nuclear Wessel. I love this episode, but must admit Worf's lines like death to the opposition and find him and kill him make me think of the boy he headbutted to death back in that soccer game. <laughs> Maybe they hope we've forgotten that episode. At least there's no danger of him having to take a corner kick. It's true. Yeah, how come How come Worf didn't have any reservations about playing a sporting event? Should he have like some PTSD flashbacks while he's, yeah. while he's out there trying to hit a baseball? Like that episode of South Park where Butters doesn't want to join the dance team because <laughs> that time that he killed a bunch of people by accident. <laughs> oh, Butters. That's it. Thank you, patrons. Thank you for leaving your thoughts about the episode. Thank you for supporting the show. Clay, on a scale of one to mm. five, what are you going to give this one? Uh, four. Okay. I'll give it a... Um, I'll give it a three. I guess it's a high three. I feel bad about that, but I'd, I'd, I guess I'd have a hard time recommending anyone watch this one, uh, as that's my rule, as to whether or not you'd show someone unfamiliar with the series this episode. I don't know if it really works. I do like it. I think it's good. Uh, there's nothing really wrong with it. It's fun to watch. Um, but I guess that's it. And you're going to give it a four because you liked it a little bit more than me, it seems. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those episodes that I think after seven seasons with these characters, it's just a very easy to get, to get behind and to enjoy. Um, I did find myself thinking uh, how funny it was that the episode starts with Cisco telling the Vulcan guy uh, about how this is the front line of the war and how it's, you know, really dangerous here. Yeah. And then as soon as the guy challenges him to a baseball game, he's like, all right, everyone for the next two weeks, all you're doing is learning how to play baseball. We've got tryouts. Okay, what else is manners. happening? I know, yes. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where it's like, sure, if you really want to be like, oh, well, there's a war happening, why, Bob, you know, yeah, okay, fine, yes. You got to find you got to find your fun uh, in the darkest moments, as that episode in the card set or something. You you find your you find a silver lining to every gray cloud or something like that. Yeah, it's a TV show. Lighten up. (laughs) Yeah, I I I like it. It's um, it's. You know, it's it's probably better than the other threes that I see it out there. It's just it's a it's a tough episode to really fully get behind, I guess. But I do like it. I do think it's kind of cute and charming, and I like it when Star Trek um, steps out and does these sort of weird turns with things that you're not expecting. It's um, it, it just it, it it opens your eyes to. Particularly, my big big takeaway was like Avery Brooks continues to be. We've talked about this probably in the earlier seasons where it's like. What a strange casting for the Cisco character, who's this buttoned up, sort of like emotionally repressed character, 
who is mm-hmm. played by Avery Brooks, who seems to just want to pull out a jazz trumpet every time he's doing something. And like, <laughs> he, he's, he's just so, he wants to play high energy, but I find his high energy acting to be in, unconvincing. You know what I mean? I agree. Yeah. Yeah. He's, uh, he's very, um, I, we've said it before, I, I think, but he's very, uh, stage actory. Yeah. Very uh, theatrical with the, especially yes, the, um, yeah. Uh, the scene where you talk about where he's yelling at Odo the ump, so like poking him dramatically. It's, it's like it doesn't it doesn't ring true. It just feels like he's really acting, but he really wants to play it this way. Yeah. Like he really same, thinks this same is when good. He was, same when he was yelling at Rom too. At first, I thought he was just doing it to like get a rise out of him or something because it was like this doesn't feel super convincing because he's very he gets very short and he keeps talking about the right way to do things yes and if you don't listen to him then you are off the team and i thought he was just trying <laughs> try i thought he was just trying to like you know bringing his energy up to to get rom to take it seriously i didn't realize he was supposed to actually be mad Biggest. imagine if your father every time he was mad with you decided <laughs> to just talk very short and loud and then you wouldn't really know how to deal with it no it it, it would be incredibly awkward. Biggest, um, biggest missed opportunity here, I think, for a joke would be uh, when Cisco is waiting for Cassidy Yates to come back, and he's he's buttering her up with the flowers and everything, and and being uh, the good boyfriend. And she's as he's building his case because he wants to invite her onto the baseball team. Um, mm-hmm. I, I always thought that that scene should end with them walking off, uh, where Cassidy Yates has been like, oh, like. Um, like you know, aren't you being like the the good the good boyfriend at this point? I always want Cisco to walk off and say, "So, what's your favorite position?" Just yeah. <laughs> just just a segue into the next thing. I think that's a good that's a good bit for a joke. But that would have been pretty funny. We're done with this one. Take me out to the hall suite. I'm going to give it a three. Clay gives it a four. I think that's our first uh, divide of the season. But we're young into the season. Many episodes left to go before DS9 finishes up. So thank you, patrons, for listening. Thank you for leaving your comments. All the social media is down below. We have a new Tee Public store you can go to. I got rid of the Teespring because it was a huge pain in the ass. So now I got the Tee Public. If you guys want T-shirts and stuff, they're all there as well. You can go to the Tee Public link down in the links below. Patreon.com slash the Penske file if you want to go there and support the show. It's much appreciated. It is our goal to get to the Voyager full rewatch if we make it to X amount of dollars uh, before Voyager starts, we will do a full Voyager rewatch. Otherwise, it'll be curated, but that's out there as well. So depending on uh, how important you view Voyager, that's your end. Clay, anything you want to say? No, I think I'm uh, plugged out at the moment. We are done. Plug in, plug out, drop out, do acid, whatever that phrase is. Um, <laughs> we are going to we're going to sign off now. We'll be back with, I think, Chrysalis is the next episode. Let me confirm that. Do, 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 do. Chrysalis. Chrysalis is the next episode. So we'll be back in a couple days with that one. Until then, guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll see you next time.